Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. There is four main chapters, five promises, and one hero. So those are the kind of, you know, the main themes or pieces that I want you to remember, and then we'll be stringing them together. Now, obviously, as we go through the story, we're not hitting every major story in Scripture. Um, I mean, we could do that, but then it would be a very, very lengthy series. Uh, but we will come back, and I would encourage you yesterday, yeah, even as I went for a, a walk, I was listening to audio Bible, but I was listening to all the chapters from 1 to 45, kind of where we'll make it to, to the end today. Go through your Bible, read it. Front to back, read it. Discover the story for yourself. I would, I would think it'd be a, it would be a big tragedy if your only exposure to God's grand story was through, through preaching. You've got to get into it for yourself. Get into the Bible. Get in there. Spend time. Spend lots of time. Sacrifice time. Give up time. Get to know God. Get to know the stories. Get to know what he's saying. But then respond in a way, remember, I, I was thinking about this in my prayer time this morning, but even the demons believe and they shudder. You know, as I was asking the Lord to give me a heart that can represent your story in a way that's true to your heart, right? I mean, how do you do that? That's a big weight. But then I was just thinking about how even the demons know. They probably know the story better than I do or any of us. But they don't respond in faith. They don't respond in obedience or love to God. And so as we go through this, as you get into your devotions, remember how we can be faithful to what we, we are learning is we respond with worship and with obedience. That, that is what loving God is, is to respond in obedience. So that's my encouragement to you guys. Four chapters. Do you remember what they were? The first one is? Creation. Creation. Second one. There we go. Third one. Fourth one. Restoration. There we go. Thank you very much. There's five promises. We've really only covered uh, one so far. Do you remember what it was? Genesis 3.15. Maybe you don't remember the name. It's okay. I'll put it up there. Anyone? Do you, do you remember the hero so far? What's his name? Serpent Crusher. This is the Serpent Crusher promise. It's called the Edenic uh, Covenant. Some call it the Adamic co uh, Covenant, but we're calling it the Edenic. So Garden of Eden is what you can think of to remember that. All right. So we're talking about laying out the God's plan of redemption. So moving forward, these were some of the big questions. I won't focus a lot of time on this today as much. We went through this last, uh, last week quite a bit. But I would encourage you again to continue looking for answers to those questions. You're going to find the Bible is littered with answers to the questions, the big questions that you have about life. About where you come from, about where life is going, about the solution to the problems of mankind, you will find everything you need is actually in here. God was beyond generous in giving us his word. So, anyhow, we'll keep moving forward on that. Uh, what did we learn last week? So last week we started with a recap, creation in the beginning. God creates the heavens and the earth. God spoke and what? And it was so. There we go. God spoke and it was so. So let's say that together. God spoke and it was so. That's a key thing to remember about God because he says lots of things in here. And, you know, the enemy comes and challenges and he'll say, did God really say? And he's doing it even in the church. Did God really say that sex was only between one man and one woman in marriage? Did he really say that? 
See, the enemy is doing this all over the culture. All over the culture. So, we carry on and we're going to continue on. So that's an important piece to remember because as you look at the covenants, the devil believes God speaks and it was so. Which is why these promises are so critical because the promises that, that God has revealed in here, the enemy knows that God will hold to his word. When he speaks, it is so. So he actually wars against the promise and against anyone to whom that promise is given. And that is precisely what we see going on in the world. I remember as a teenager, and I did not give my life to Christ, I struggled with knowing how can you, you know, out of a thousand religions, I, I actually don't know if it's a thousand religions, that's just hyperbole, right? But out of a thousand belief systems, how can you be so arrogant to think that you have the one way? I wasn't the first one to ask that. Many in here probably have asked that already. How can you be so sure, like one way? You know what the Lord revealed? I didn't know it was the Lord then because I didn't know he spoke, um, nor was I asking him. I was more being critical. Anyways, I had a thought after that, and that thought was, it's not a 1,000. It's like 998 versus two. Everybody agrees on, on one thing, the hatred of both Jew and Christian alike. It's God's people. Like, the enemy hates. He is consistently warring against the promise and against those to whom the promise is given. And he wars to keep anyone from receiving their inheritance of those promises. Anyways, but we can get, we can get onto that later. The next chapter is the fall. And we got into that. So we have creation here. And then we went on to the fall, right? Now you'll see it on the back. The guys worked on that. Isn't that great, having it on the back? I love it. I'm very appreciative of, of things like that. But uh, remember, we learned that, this, that Satan was an ancient cherub. We kind of get little bits and pieces scattered throughout. In Genesis 6, we even hear about the sons of God and the Nephilim coming down and having sex with women. And we hear a whole story there that probably most of you, when you read those six verses, say, tell me more, right? The heroes of old, tell me more about that, but then it just moves on with the story. It's not about that. So anyways, but we know he was a cherub, and he was glorious. He was beautiful. He had majesty, but he, he sought to bring himself to the heights of God himself. He wanted worship, and he led a rebellion in the heavenlies and was cast down to the earth. We find him showing up in Eden in the form of a serpent, and he's, and he's coming to Eden. Did God really say? And the deception begins. And as we know from last week, Eve bites of the fruit. She falls and gives into sin. As soon as that happens, Eve gives into sin. Adam joins her. And right away as the curse is brought in, through mankind's sin, death begins to spread. And it goes throughout the bloodline. All humanity is affected, but also all of creation. So all of creation. So we saw that last week. And then we move on to God's plan of redemption, the Edenic covenant, promise number one. That's the one we alluded to before. And, and there we found out about the serpent crusher. And I know, I know, by the way, I know some in here, maybe most of you already know who the serpent crusher is, but we haven't said it officially, so don't be a spoiler. So if we ask who it is, you know, we talk about serpent crusher. Up until now, you don't know. I, can't, I almost did it. Ah, see, I caught myself. You have to catch yourself too, okay? So all we know so far is that it's Serpent Crusher. And the reason why I'm encouraging you to even play along with this, for some of you, it might be new, maybe you don't know, we've got exciting news coming up. But for the rest of you that do, I want you just to imagine, feel the anticipation of the characters in the Old Testament as they're longing. They're already feeling that Maranatha cry, that, that come quickly, Lord, come quickly, Serpent Crusher. Whoever's going to undo the curse, come now. 
They're living in that tension from the beginning, but they don't know how the story ends. So God speaks, and it is so. The enemy hates that, and that's where we ended. So we ended kind of right here with Noah and the flood, and uh, that's where we're going to pick up now. So redemption. God's plan to redeem creation. So um, Noah was drunk, lay naked in the tent, and Shem co- or uh, Ham comes in and expose, well, it doesn't expose him, but then goes out and tells his brothers, which is kind of humiliating to Noah. Noah curses Ham, but then right in, there, in that curse, we actually find another Easter egg, and that's where we're going to pick up the story, and then we're going to carry on from there. And the Easter egg, so cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall, be, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And what we see here, because the, Jesus comes from a particular bloodline, a family line, right? Just so you can trace a genealogy back. And so what you'll find in the Old Testament is you're going to see this, this trace through the genealogies. And it's really fascinating to watch. And right here, we find out that it's going to go through Shem. So Shem, because there's always, you know, you have multiple families, multiple kids, and where is the genealogy going to go, and how is it going to trace down? And Scripture was very clear, right from Adam on, where it was going. But it, remember, they don't know who it's going to be yet. I mean, it's one thing if you, if you start at the end and work your way backwards. It's another thing, though, when you start at the beginning and you're working your way forwards. You have no idea, right? You pick the wrong family, you do the the wrong this, or you move a little bit right, and you're in a totally different spot by the end. But God knows. He orchestrates the entire thing. God's promise, the serpent crusher, will come through Shem. And I also like, you see God's heart in here again. What's his heart? Let him dwell in the tents. So, uh, blessed be the Lord, right? But let him dwell in the tents of Shem, right at the end there. You see God's heart always from the beginning to dwell with human beings. I always find that just absolutely fascinating because so many faiths or belief systems are built off this idea that if there's a God, he's distant, he's harsh, he's a taskmaster. But nobody has a God like this that is relational, that wants to get onto our level, that will do anything that he can, and he can do a lot and has, to get down on our level. I think that's absolutely incredible. But from here, so the hope of redemption is alive. Serpent Crusher will come through Shem, right? Now we know it's continuing on. But there are some challenges that have to be completed within <clears throat> this Serpent Crusher. He has to be able to defeat the serpent, so that's pretty big. He has to reverse the curse of death, disease, pain, suffering, sorrow. How about war? Brought on by our sin. He's got to repair the evil inclinations of man's heart. That's twice it says that in Genesis, right? For every inclination of man's heart is towards evil. And I think we see that, you know, when we look at the news right now, you can see that contrast. It looks very easy to see in some cases, but the truth is, it's not just in terrorism. It's infected all of us. We all need a Savior. And then he's going to restore us to full communion and fellowship with God. I think that's my favorite part. So then the rebellion continues, and we're going to pick it up at the Tower of Babel, right? So it's a place called Babylon, or what would later be called Babylon, and we're going to this Tower of Babel, and there it says there that the people were of one language. 
Now you might wonder, what's, what's wrong with one language? What's wrong with them building a tower? We're gonna get to that in just a moment. But first the verse. So come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, when you look at that, what's the problem with what they said? There's two things in there. Can you see the first one? That might be wrong. Let us make a name for who? Here we go, pride. What was there, we go back to the creation mandate. And we'll, by the way, once we go through the whole story, we'll come back and really dissect some of these. But they were supposed to spread across the earth, that's the second part, lest you be dispersed, and glorify God by spreading across the earth and imitating his, his image all around everywhere, right? So now instead they were gonna do completely contrary to that. Instead of going and, and glorifying God and reflecting his glory to the earth, they were going to stay put and they were going to reflect their own glory. It was pride at its finest. And so we find God, again in, in Genesis 11, 7 to 8, he comes down and says, let us go down. There we get that us language again. Remember, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the Trinitarian God has not been revealed yet to them in the Old Testament. So you get Elohim, this idea of a plural God that is one, but he's plural, and there would have been a lot of mystery in that for them. Um, and there still is for us, because I don't know, even understanding the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, I don't know that any one of us understands it fully, uh, because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, right? But here we go, we'll continue on. Let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Now two things that I want to point out of God, uh, maybe three actually, number one, God is relational and loving, highly relational. You see him again, this idea of him coming down from heaven to come down and be with his creations, to come down and see and to relate to them that way is incredible language. But you also see that he is the judge, he's just. He doesn't allow sin to go unpunished. But I want you to also see that he's merciful. God is merciful, right? These are answering those core, big worldview questions. He's merciful because the punishment is actually very kind. He, he disperses, he creates nations. He, he splits up their language. But why? What's his heart and motivation in it? To, to hurt them and harm them? No, it was, so, it was to encourage them now to go and continue on in obedience to disperse across the earth. You see God's kindness in that that leads us to repentance? That's a theme throughout Scripture. And that's why sometimes it's dangerous when, when people take an isolated story and try to understand everything there is to know about God. It's very hard. You've got to look at the entirety of this Scripture, and it's very hard to, to levy accusations against God that line up with things like he's racist or misogynistic or he's harsh. He's not. But he is holy. He is just. He is judge but he's incredibly merciful beyond what I can understand even for myself. All right. Oh, by the way, if you're reading your Bibles and you're going through here, you might notice a, a discrepancy. Last week I pointed out between Genesis 1 and 2. Remember we start wide like this, and then as creation goes down through Genesis 2, it gets more narrow, right? So you almost have two accounts of, of God creating the earth or creating man. One, he speaks them into being, and then in the next chapter, he's creating them out of the dust. So are, they're both true. It's just a matter of now you're getting the finer details like that. Okay, so 
The same thing happens with chapters 10 and 11. So if you've noticed in chapters 10, I think it's verse, I have it written down, 5, each with his own language. He's describing the genealogies of who was alive on the earth. Well, you'll notice that he's describing nations with languages. And then chapter 11 hits, and they're all one people in one language. And you're like, wait a second, which one is it? It's both. It's, it's, he's just saying, this is the genealogy of, of everything. Now, we're going to start with how it happened, right? Does that make sense? We start with this. This is kind of the big picture. And then we go to chapter 10, and it's now, this is how it happened. This is how the nations and languages dispersed. So if you see that, that's just a little helpful hint if you're reading through the scripture right now. All right. Things looked like, in many cases, or in many ways, that they were getting worse. Because, you know, we had Noah, we had a reset. That didn't work. I mean, we had the Garden of Eden. I mean, we could start there. The Garden of Eden, it's perfect. That didn't work. Then we have the promise of the serpent crusher, right? And now we have Noah, we have a reset. That didn't work. And now they're going, people of mankind's sin and rebellion are, are just multiplying, it's compounding like that. And now you have the Tower of Babel and God has to split them apart. That doesn't work. But God's plan of redemption is still alive because when God speaks, what? It is so, right? So we know what's gonna happen. We know more of the story because we have the word, but we'll just keep following along. So now we move forward. 10 generations from Adam to Noah. We talked about that last week. And now you get 10 generations from Noah right down through to Abraham who at this point is known as Abram, right? So Abram and Sarai, that's the story where we're going to pick up right now. And the story of Abraham begins with an introduction to his family. They're, they're living in Ur with the Chalde, uh, Chaldeans, which is uh, modern-day Iraq today. So if you're trying to, where is that exactly? It's modern-day Iraq, that's where they are. And we're told their family served other gods. So not which ones, not, you know, we, we don't get any details on that. We actually don't get it in Genesis, we get it in Joshua. But his family is serving other gods, and God puts a call on Abram to leave his land and his family with his wife and to go to a new land that God was going to give him. That's kind of where we're going to pick up the story. So Abraham's dad, or Abram at this point, is Terah, and he dies in Haran. And that's where we're going to start in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And by the way, every time you see a dot, 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 that's because I have taken something out of the scripture. So always when you see that, go and look for yourself what I took out. You can see it. In this case, it's just so that I can fit it all on one screen. Uh, but just a helpful hint. So if you ever see the dot, 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 that's what that is. I've just removed parts, but I'm keeping the integrity of what, it's, you know, what the story is all about. So Abram went, and as the Lord had told him, Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had. They had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, stop. So first thing I'll just point out about Abram, we have this theme of yes, right? We've been talking about that a lot in the last year. Give your yes. As you can see from the verses we've already looked at, Abraham is a yes guy. We didn't come up with that idea. That is, when you look at the faithful men and women of Scripture, you'll always find one thing in common. They're yes people. They're yes people. They are yes to the Lord. Whatever is his way is our way. And you see that because it, was, it would have been a strange thing. They're serving other gods. We're not even given the details of how Abram knows that it's Yahweh, the one true God. But he's willing to say bye to his family, bye to his land, and head off 
to a land he does not know in obedience to God, to Yahweh, which is incredible. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a characteristic of Abram, or later to be called Abraham, that we see throughout his entire life, uh, which is pretty incredible. So picking up again, Genesis, what we're reading, I'm reading different parts. It's Genesis 12, 1 through 7. That's where we're starting. And now we're going back and forth in there. And we'll pick up here. And I will. Now we're talking about the promise. This is what he says to Abram. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, God included a bunch of stunning promises. And if you actually follow the whole story, and like I said again, I'd encourage you to read the whole story. It's just great. Uh, Genesis is such an awesome book of the Bible. There's just so, it's so rich, and it covers a very large period of time. Um, but there's a whole bunch of promises that we can extrapolate and, and different areas where God kind of gives promises to Abram and then expands on them and then refines them and then expands them and refines them until you have you know, the totality of what we call the Abrahamic covenant, right? And that's what we're going to look at now, the Abrahamic covenant. But there are three main promises that I want you guys to remember. Because I want to simplify that, and you know, if we come back to it later, in fact, Pastor Ray actually went through, I think, all nine promises that are in there in his series when he did the grand story here a couple of years ago. So you can go and look at that if you want more details, or read your scriptures, or go to the way that you can find the way in there too with grand story. But for now, we'll look at three main promises. And the reason why these covenants are important are because when God speaks, it is so. When God speaks, it is so. That's important because when he's made promises, if those promises haven't been fulfilled, then they must be fulfilled. Make sense? That's why it's important to know what those promises are because a lot of, like, remember, the grand story follows this long line, and you've seen it when it's all complete, but we're somewhere over there. But there's still a, a portion that, that we haven't seen yet. We don't have historical context for understanding it. We just have prophetic promises. And we know that when God speaks, it is so. But to understand what he's saying and what's going to happen, you have to look back to the beginning and what he promised his people because he's revealed himself through his people Israel. And so a lot of those promises still have to come true. And that's what we're going to look at. But first, a warning and a blessing. And that's what we'll look at. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That's talking about Abram and his descendants, which will later be called Israel. That's why we should work really hard against things like anti-Semitism, especially within the church. And harmful doctrines like replacement theology that breed anti-Semitism. Because God speaks and it is so. When he says, I will bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them, he means precisely that. But on to the promises, the details of the promise. First one is great nation. So great nation can be looked at for multiple ways, and we look at scripture to find out a definition of what a great nation is. And size is one of those pieces. So, I mean, size, and, and Abraham gets told about the descendants as numerous as the stars, we'll get onto that, but size is only a part of it. You have size, you have stature, and then you have most importantly righteousness. Known for righteousness. That's what truly makes any person or nation great, is righteousness. Known for the righteousness. So that hasn't happened yet. 
Although the Bible gives us a great account of times when it looked like it might, or it looked like it had, or it looked like it was you know, partially there, but then it fell apart, right? And they'd be kicked out of the land and, and so on and so forth. So that's part of it. But there was also land that was promised. And specifically, this is the land of Canaan. And I'll give you a, a bit of a map, and I copied and pasted this with permission, but I realized after as it's blowing up, you can't read all that, can you? No. So uh, the red part there is where modern-day Israel is, and it's kind of branching into Syria, and the Gaza Strip would be on the left-hand side, if that makes sense for the people that are following what's going on in the Middle East right now. That kind of gives you an idea. But the promised land is roughly that red area. So that promised land, God promised to Abram and to his descendants. Now you might be wondering, ooh, God's just going to take that land away from somebody else. Well, I'll just, by the way, I want to point something out here quickly. We don't have time to just spend all of our message here, but we are going to come back to it and talk about Israel, the law, and the church. And Pastor Ray is actually going to be teaching that in a few weeks. But, uh, but until then, uh, who owns everything? Yeah, who made it all? Yeah. He decides nations that rise and fall. He judges. He's very, very fair. He's beyond fair. But anyways, that's where that is. So moving forwards, we have, we have great nation, we have land, and then we have blessed the nations. God, God's heart has always been to the nations. Always. So now we have, you know, we had Adam and Eve, and we were moving forward, right? And we go to Noah and the flood, that didn't, that didn't accomplish everything, and God promised to never do that again. That's what the rainbow was given as a covenantal sign that God would not destroy the earth on, on behalf of mankind. And then he goes to the Tower of Babel. He splits the earth into multiple nations. And now, so uh, up until then, it's kind of like again like this, right? But God is working through mankind, and now it's narrowed down to this man named Abram, and God is going to work through his family and descendants to bring about the revealing of who? Serpent Crusher. Yeah, right? You want to say that with a little gusto, you can. Serpent Crusher, right? Because it's cool if you're into that. And if you're not, that's okay. All right. So Abraham and Sarai, they continue on their journey. They haven't received the promise. They travel through Egypt. Uh, Abram grows just wealthy beyond wealthy, which is actually part of the promise that we're not getting into because it's not one of the main promises. But remember, part of what God had said is that I will make your name great. Like, I'll make you great too, personally, Abram. And he does that. Abram gets, like, very, very wealthy, extremely wealthy, uh, so wealthy that, you know, him and Lot end up having to split out. He gets kicked out of a nation because he's too wealthy, and then him and Lot have to split apart uh, because of his wealth. And uh, God is definitely blessing him. But now, moving forward, we still have the promise of, you know, a great nation. Now, to be a great nation, and it's coming out of your bloodline, and it's just you and your wife, what do you need to have? Yeah. <laughs> Children, exactly, right? So if it's going to come through your bloodline, you have to have children. Um, the problem is, at this point, they're childless. They're childless. And so Abraham is, 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 is you know, concerned, and he's crying out to the Lord, and that's where we're going to pick up here in Abraham, or Abraham 15. Genesis 15, 1 to 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer and of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. 
And the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven and number the stars. If you're able to count them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. I just, I love that. So God brings Abram outside if he's not already outside. Maybe they were in a tent first, but they go outside and, you know, it's dark. If you've ever been, not in town here, but if you're out in the country, you'll already know this. You look upside on, uh, uh, you know, up on a clear night and it's just littered with stars. We've had a couple of times when we did man camp, the one time especially when there was a meteor shower, but where we laid there for, I don't know, an hour or more, and just all of us guys just laid there and stared, and we were just in awe of all of the stars. Well, God himself brings Abram out and has, you know, they lay down on the grass together, or maybe it's sand, but they lay down on the grass together, and he says, look. If you can count those stars in those galaxies, that's what your descendants will be like. It's incredible. It's an incredible promise. And then the most beautiful thing, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And I love that. And, you know, one thing I'll point out just very quickly, and it'll come out in the themes of the whole story, but no man has ever been able to keep the law and so be saved. Salvation has always been a grace gift that is given through faith or received through faith. So that's important for us to understand. That was true with Abram too. And Abraham's a special guy. But now Abram's asking for a sign. Lord, how do I know? I mean, how do I know that I shall possess it? How will I know for sure that it's going to happen? And then we get, um, oh, maybe I had it on. Yeah, there we go. There we go. And he said, I forgot to delete those PowerPoints. It's all good. And he said, bring me a heifer. So Abraham's asking God, how do I know you're going to keep your promise? You ever felt like that? God has promised you something and you're wondering for a sign, like, how do I know you're going to keep it? And you want some kind of confirmation. Give me something. And I love that. You see the humanness of Abram and he asks that and this is what God says to him. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. So like this. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, if you've ever read that before, maybe you've stopped and visualized it, maybe you have not. Has anyone in here stopped and visualized that? No? There are, there are a couple. I like it. We're kind of split. Some are like, no way. I just move right on. We just read it. Yep, yeah, they cut the animals in half. Imagine the scene. It's almost offensive to our Western sensibilities, right? Because you only get meat in a supermarket. You don't have to kill it and slaughter it. <laughs> Sorry. That was a joke. You can laugh. Sorry. Th thanks. That makes me feel better about myself. Okay. So you have, this is called a cutting covenant. Okay. That's what it was called in Middle Eastern times. And what you have is they would cut an animal in half and you'd lay one half here and one half on this side. So they're laid like this. And then two parties that were agreeing, kind of like we have a, you can sign you sign your name, you have a contract that you sign, and it's legally binding. In the same way, a covenant like this was also legally binding. If that's maybe not the right words, but it's like that. It's the equivalent of a legally binding contract. And you'd have the two parties would enter in between these animals that have been cut in half, and they would covenant together to whatever their sides are. And the idea would be if one person would break their end of the covenant, it was, it was, they would be like the animals. They would die like the animals. Does that make sense? 
So it's not just any kind of contract. It was a pretty big contract. It's a pretty big deal because it's saying, let me be. So God is actually promising to Abraham, if I fail to hold true to my word, let me be like these animals and be torn apart. Let me die like these beasts if I fail to uphold my end of the covenant. It's actually incredible because God could just say, I promised you it, take that, right? He could, but he doesn't. He gives Abram this special thing. He meets him where he's at in a relevant way and makes a covenant with him. And he says, he walks between there and says, this is what I'm going to do. And this is where we're going to pick it up. So usually both parties are between the carcasses because that's what ratifies the agreement. But there's something strange that happens in this cutting covenant. And that's where we're going to pick up the story here as the sun goes down. It's about uh, fifth line there if you're going to follow along. As the sun's going down, a deep sleep falls on Abram. And behold, a dreadful great darkness fell upon him. Then, he said, uh, then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for, four, uh, for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in your good old age. And they shall come back in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. By the way, there's a few things that you can note from there. Note God's mercy there. You'll, you'll see little pieces like that all over. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Whenever you see stuff like that, language like that in the Old Testament, what God is saying is he's not quick to anger, not quick to judge. He's very slow. So he allows like a cup, right? If you can picture a cup. He allows their sin to fill up. If it's unrepentant sin, to fill up to a place where he finally can't hold it back anymore, and then he judges. And usually you'll find a, a pattern of him warning multiple times. Warning, 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 then there's discipline, and if we refuse to respond, then there is judgment. But God is very slow in that process. With the Canaanites, it took 400 years, actually. 400 years of wicked, evil acts. And, and usually by the time you look at the time span, you say, God, how could you wait that long instead of how could you judge that harshly? It's funny how we, we get that when you look at history. But anyways... Dread and darkness come on Abram. God actually puts Abram to sleep. So it's supposed to be God and Abram stepping into this covenant together between these animals and coveting together. And what God actually does is he puts Abram to sleep over here and then reveals to him this prophetic image of all the suffering that his people is going to go through. And it causes a dread and darkness to fall upon Abram. I can't, I can't imagine what he must have been going through and what he must have felt. I mean, we don't get lots of details of what he saw, but he's seeing all of the affliction that happens in Egypt. It doesn't say, you know, where that ends, but he's seeing all of that, and he's feeling all of that, but he's also getting God's promise that God's going to deliver them. He doesn't know it's in Egypt yet, but God's going to deliver them, and that's exactly what he did, and they're going to come out rich, and that's what happened when God delivered them. That story we're going to get to next week. So anyhow, Genesis 15, 17 to 21, now we're going to continue on. Now you have Abram's asleep. You have these animals cut apart. This coveting covenant is about to happen that ratifies the promise. And now that we pick up in verse 17, the sun has gone down and it's dark and behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passes between the pieces. That's all he sees. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kezanites, the Ketamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Repham, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jagashites, and the Jebusites. 
and God ratifies the agreement. But I want you to notice the significance of Abram being sleeping out here and God ratifying it in here. God ratifies the agreement. The whole thing depends on him. It doesn't depend on Abram. He said, I promise and I covenant to you. There is no reciprocal covenant. There are stuff that's going to come. So there are definitely, God judges Israel too. Absolutely, yes. But in this case, the promises, those three main ones that we just went over earlier, all depended entirely on God. And that's very important. The conditions of the Abrahamic promise or covenant, number one, it's unilateral. Depends on God only. It's unconditional. Now we'll get to next week and stuff. There are conditions on staying in the land, right? And that's part of the problem with the covenants and how do they stay in the land? You have to live righteously and live for God. Well, we don't because we're sinful. So part of what we need, and you're going to see as the promises unfold, we need a new heart, a new spirit. I'm giving you little Easter eggs to the new, new covenant, right? So we need a new covenant. But anyways, up until now, it's unilateral and unconditional. God's going to do it. He's going to give them land. He's going to make them great. And he's going to make them a blessing to all the nations. He's going to do it. And it's eternal, it's everlasting possession. They, he will be their God. And it applies to the descendants of Abraham. All right. Now at this point, we're going to move forward in the story. And then we'll, we will bring it to a close for today at some point here. Yep. We're getting near that. I'm just following my time. Okay. Abraham and Sarai. So right now they've been Abraham and Sarai. As we move through the story now, and we're going to kind of just paraphrase a little bit here. God gives them a new name. He also charges them to, to you know, uh, one of the signs of the promise was that they circumcise every male, and they did that. But uh, he also gives them a new name, and this is where they become Abraham and Sarah. Right? So they become Abraham and Sarah, and their promised child is Isaac. And the story of Isaac, I wish we had time to go through here. There's so much significance there, and even there's Easter eggs there as it relates to who the serpent crusher will be. Uh, but we don't have time to get into that part yet. Uh, we'll come back to that when we look at, can we see Jesus? Like, <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, just forget that. If you don't know who the serpent crusher is, you didn't hear the last word I said. But anyhow, we'll look at how we see him from the beginning of Scripture right through the end. You'll, you'll see how he's intimately involved. He's not a new character in the, Old in the New Testament. Uh, he's an ancient character. He's without beginning. Has always existed. It's pretty incredible. Anyways, Isaac is born. He's the child of promise. Isaac gives birth to Jacob and Esau. So we have here, so you'll see Abraham and Sarai. Uh, here we go. Isaac comes on the scene there, and uh, he gives birth to Jacob. And <clears throat> Jacob later on fathers the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so there's some really good stories in there. Again, please go and read this for yourself. The story of Jacob and Esau, for instance, Jacob's brother, is incredible. And you're going to watch how God works through really imperfect, sinful people all the time. And I, it's one of the most hopeful messages of the Bible, actually. Because when you really read through it slow, and actually, I encourage you, try to just imagine yourself in the story. Like, try to, like, get out of your life when you read it. Go through Genesis and just start reading it. And then just give yourself the time to sit there and be like, what must that have been like? And what you're going to find is when you really allow your heart to engage with Scripture, you, you are going to find there's a lot of ugly things in here. A lot of really bad things, sinful things that human beings do. But then I want you to reflect on the grace of God that he continues to work through sinful people, really sinful people. 
He accomplishes his purposes. And what I love about that is he has promised us things too. We have a promise of salvation and the enemy will war with us too. And he'll war and say, did God really say? Did God really say you're forgiven? You've, you've continued to fall in the same sin again and again and again. Your desires haven't changed. Are you even saved? Did God really say that it's by faith and not by making yourself right first? So get in the word because you're going to find yourself very encouraged because you'll realize, yes, repentance is absolutely important. It's a fruit that is expected to come out from all believers. All of us. But yet our ability to be righteous is never found in here as the qualifications for salvation. It's always faith. It's a beautiful thing. So I hope you're encouraged by that when you go through it. And you'll see the Jacob and Esau story will be another one like that. Then we go on to the 12 tribes of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. And then through a series of events, the second younger brother, Joseph, ends up angering his brothers. He gets, he gets dreams, and he can't help but share these dreams with his brother. And the dreams are all about how his brothers are going to bow before him. The first one is, so if you're from a multi-child family and you have the younger, you know, younger child that is starting to have dreams and declaring how all the older children are going to submit underneath them and do everything that they ask them to, well, just imagine how your kids today respond when their siblings tell them to do something. What do you hear them say? You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> Isn't that normal? I mean, Caitlin would never say that, right? But anyways, so that's what happens here. But they do more than just tell Joseph that he can't tell them what to do. They actually <clears throat> throw him into a well and then sell him to slave traders. It's a pretty terrible thing. I hope none of you have done that to your siblings. Um, or that you're planning on doing that. It'd be horrific. There's a little bit too much laughter from the friend here with the siblings. Anyways, uh, he ends up a prisoner which culminates in him being brought before Pharaoh. So I just love this. I mean, he has this dream that his brothers are going to bow before him. And then he has a dream that even his dad is going to bow down before him. And even his dad who loves him is like, oh, J Jacob's thinking, come on. Like, you really think we're all going to come and bow down before you? And from there, he gets thrown or sold to slave, slave traders. He does a pretty good job, gets lied about, gets thrown into prison. <laughs> and prisons were not like they are today. They're, they're much worse. And from there, he thinks he has an opportunity to get out, doesn't. And then finally, he gets dragged before the king or, or the pharaoh of the time of Egypt, who has had a dream. And the reason for being called out wasn't to, you know, to flatter him or anything like that. It was actually to give him the worst type of ultimatum ever. You tell me what I dreamed last night, and then tell me what it meant, or I'll kill you. Pressure's on, right? I mean, this is what we enter into his life. And I mean, I don't know how you would respond to that. And he responds as any of us should. Only God can do that. But then God miraculously reveals not only the meaning of Pharaoh's dream, but also the details of Pharaoh's dream. And we see it here on uh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after and the seven empty ears blighted by the east are also seven years of famine. So he says, God has promised you we're going to have seven good years and then seven bad years. And so you get this guy, Joseph, he's a kid 
angers his family because he's got these dreams of grandeur, right? You're all going to bow down before me. From there, he goes and becomes a slave, from a slave to a prisoner, from a prisoner dragged before a king, from being dragged before a king to the second in command of the most powerful superpower of the earth. And then you have the seven years of plenty followed by the seven years of famine. And Joseph is in charge of making sure, or yeah, Joseph is in charge of making sure that everything happens. And then finally his brothers come. There's a whole story there that we can't get into. And his dad comes. And now you have all of the people of Israel that have entered into Egypt. And that's where their slavery and affliction will take place. And next week we're going to pick up with a story with the second or the third promise that we need to know. It's the Mosaic promise. And it's going to come right out of their years of slavery in Egypt. But for now, I want to make sure we close on a good note here. So, <clears throat> promise number one. What's the first promise? What is it called? Oh, let's, uh, that is actually, that's the next one. Promise number one, think big picture. There's five main promises. Promise number one. Edenic. Okay, yeah. Whoa, I shouldn't tell you. And who comes out of this, the Edenic covenant? Serpent crusher. Thanks, Antonia. Yeah. Serpent crusher comes out of the Edenic covenant. So that's the proto-evangelon. It is the beginning, the first time we see the good news in Scripture, right, as in a response to the curse. So that's promise number one. Okay. What about promise number two? What's that one called? Abrahamic? Yeah. Oh, hold on to that one. Hold on. Don't, don't stop. Abrahamic covenant. And the three main promises of that are, what's the first one? Great nations. There we go. Yep. Thank you. Second one, land, physical land, geographical land, not a spiritual land, physical land that they will occupy. Okay. So we have great nation, land, and what's the third one? Blessing to all nations. Absolutely. You guys remember what the conditions were? Unconditional, unilateral, unconditional. So who does that depend on? God. Okay. Do you remember anything else? It's eternal. Absolutely. So it's everlasting. And what's the last one? Applies to the descendants. Okay. So if we can go back, I'll just go here. So great nation, promised land, blessing to all nations. Of that covenant, those are the three promises you need to remember. Because when God speaks, it is so. So if it hasn't happened, it means it will happen. It has to happen. Because his word never comes back void. And that promise, thankfully, is not dependent on human beings. For if it were, then there'd be no assurance that it would come true. It's entirely dependent on God, on his sovereignty, on his will. So, the last thing, and then we'll close in worship here. If these things are true, and I want you to wrestle with this because sometimes we try with the application, and I will continue to do this, just not now, is to give you specific things that you should do in result to, to the message. But a challenge I want to keep giving through this series is simply this. If the story is true, you decide that. If it is true, if the things we discuss today are true, what does that mean for how you should live today? How does that affect the way that you pray, even with things that are going on in the Middle East? 
wrestle it through in your head just for a moment. How does that affect you? And with that, let's stand.